Praise the Lord. Would you please help me say thank you to our worship team and our, uh, yeah, and our prayer team our, and our hospitality crew shouting us way in the back over there. There's a lot of energy happening. Uh, thankful for our cafe crew that uh, our uh, glove-wearing cafe workers who are getting people nourishment, our apron-wearing children's people. Uh, also, we want to say thank you uh, and welcome. I know Mrs. Daff probably did at the beginning, but uh, we want to just honor those who are with us online, uh, joining us right now for the Word in particular. Would you help me welcome those folks that are with us? We're glad you guys are here. Uh, some folks are watching, and right now, perhaps you're thinking, I'm, you're checking out this this service because you're looking for a a church to come home to, and we want to tell you right now, the Lord hears you and loves you and wants you to come home. We welcome you here. I, hope, I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Revelation. Okay, that'll do. The book of Revelation. We are in this text for good reason, and the, not the least of which are these two reasons. The book begins with, uh, includes this beginning, blessed are those who read and hear and heed these words. We want to be blessed, and we expect that we will be, as we do, hear them and heed them. Yes, amen. We're pretty good. All right. And also, we're going to hear this refrain. We'll hear it again today. If you have an ear to hear, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church. How many believe the Holy Spirit is going to speak to us again from this text today? Amen. Well, let's open our hearts and lean in and listen. We are in chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. Uh, we are on this, the second of seven churches that the, the book begins by uh, John receiving messages to seven literal churches in Asia Minor there. Begin, and, and each of these churches has, uh, receives a message from the risen Christ. Remember, they each receive one, but everybody reads everybody's mail. So that means that even though something may be directed at one, everybody overhears. And if we have ears to hear, we should listen. We should pay attention. So if it's true for them, it's true for us. So we're going to eavesdrop. We're going to listen to what he says to the church in Smyrna, and we're going to have ears to hear, and we're going to heed what the Lord Jesus says, Amen. and we'll be blessed. All right, here, here's, let me read this. It's just four verses today, beginning at verse 8. And to the angel of the church at, in Smyrna, right? This is what the first and the last who was dead and has come to life says. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Thank you. Yeah, let's practice the word yikes. Oh, yikes may come in handy in this text a few times, so uh, now's a good time to practice that again. Yeah, they are a synagogue of Satan. Good job. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested, and you, <laughs> and you will have tribulation for 10 days, can of worms. Uh, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will never be hurt by the second death. 
Do not fear. Here is the primary message to this church. Verse 8 begins like this. And to the angel of the church at Smyrna write. Now Smyrna was a large city. It was wealthy and it was proud. It was about 35 miles north of Ephesus. Kind of north and kind of veering toward the coast along the coastline of uh, contemporary Turkey. It was wealthy, it was proud, uh, it had a temple to Zeus, it had uh, what was called the Agora, uh, kind of a fancy place with all kinds of idols and temples and kinds of things. Um, it had a massive theater in Smyrna that sat 20,000 people, so like the size of the Moda Center in Smyrna. It also was famous for emperor worship. That was common during the day. It was required. We'll hear about that in just a minute. But Smyrna prided itself on being like the capital of emperor worship. Coincidentally, so did Ephesus. So Ephesus and Smyrna sort of had a, we've got spirit, yes we do. We've got spirit, how about you? Uh, Approach to emperor worship. And we need to hear that because they wanted to outdo One another, Smyrna wanted to outdo everybody in their practice of emperor worship. You combine that with the fact that Smyrna also had a very large Jewish population that were very hostile to members of the way of Christianity, and now you have the letter to the church at Smyrna. Then you have, we hear this. The Lord says, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life, says this. Each of the messages to these churches will contain a reference to the sender, reminding them of the sender. And, that, and it will connect with even what we heard in, the, in chapter one about the glory and the majesty of Jesus. But it, as well as a connection to the sender, he is going to, this is so good, I wish I could say it better. He is going to identify himself with them, with what he is about to say to them about what their, their circumstances. He is going to identify with them. And so we've just heard that they are going to, some of them are going to face death. And yet to those people, he identifies himself as the one who died and who is alive again. The one who has faced death and has come back to life has overcome death. And so he has made death something no longer to be feared. So then he says in verse 9, I know. Here he says it again, and I want to pause it to emphasize this. He said it to the church at Ephesus, I know. He's telling them, I know you, I see you, I'm observing you, I'm with you. This is something that should have brought them comfort, should bring them hope, should include, should stir them to reverence. And it should do the same for us. He sees you. The king is in the room. And he says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, though you are rich. Tribulation and poverty. Persecution in Smyrna was intense. The emperor cult, as we said, was strong. And when Domitian issued the decree 
declaring emperor worship mandatory for all the inhabitants of the Roman Empire, it became compulsory for every Roman citizen on the threat of death. So once a year, every Roman inhabitant, every citizen had to take a pinch of incense and burn it on a bust on a godhead of Caesar. Now, such an act, if we, look, if we listen to history and to writers, it's, it's possible or even probable that such an act was more, uh, at the time, seen or felt like more like a political expression than outright worship. And here's where we gotta lean in and hear this a little bit. It was something that they did. The only thing you had to do was take a little pinch of incense and say, Caesar is Lord, and they didn't bother you again. Didn't have to wear a T-shirt. Didn't have to go to Caesar school or Caesar church. Okay, you didn't have to buy the merch or whatever. Just, hey, what's the big deal? No big deal, right? A little pinch of incense, no big deal. Caesar's Lord, get on with your life. And probably to most of the people in that time, it was no big deal. And yet... Christians, most of them refuse to do it. So here we have a problem, and here we see something that is historically true. Is that most of the time, the challenge, the challenge for Christianity is not really met or addressed, or we don't, we don't face often radical, scary, you know, obvious things. But really we live, we, we constantly live in a society that accepts and practices what they think is no big deal. And then Christians act differently and they're labeled as weird or extreme. Why don't, what's your problem? It's just a little pitch of, and a thing. They refused to, Christians refused to practice outright idolatry and they refused to agree with or affirm something that was unholy and untrue. And because of it, they faced, well, they got canceled. They got canceled. They said, what you, why, why are you guys so weird? You're not going along. This, you're acting. And it, because in society, it just felt like no big deal, but their conscience didn't, pr- uh, provoked them to act otherwise. So this is something that has been true, and it remains true. That living for Jesus may very well look and feel like something unusual in a culture. And when Domitian issued that edict, he exempted, here's the problem, he exempted the Jews. That's based upon some historical agreements back and forth. The Jewish people sometimes had a little bit of privilege with with Rome. Basically, probably I would argue because they fought and fussed so much, Rome was like, let's not even, let's just not. And so they had some exemptions. But the Jewish people did not want that same liberty extended to the Christians. And they lobbied with Rome and slandered the members of the way and conspired with Roman power to make sure the Christians were oppressed. Now you might say, well, gosh, why, is that, why so bad? Well, the reason why, well, 
is that for genuine Jewish people at the time, they did not think that the sect of the way was the way. They were suspect. They did not embrace. They rejected Christ as Messiah and therefore rejected the way. And they did not want those people enjoying the same privileges as them. But what that meant for people, believers in Smyrna, is now they're surrounded by persecution. The Roman government, the, 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 and they, have, they, have, they have secular, political, and religious persecution, which would end up in economic crisis as well. Because now that affected their ability for commerce, for work, for trade. If, you know this. If you get canceled, you go broke. And so these people are canceled on every side. And that's why Jesus says, I see your tribulation and your poverty. And yet he says, you are rich. He sees their true state and reminds them that in spite of their oppression, they are blessed, they are spiritually vibrant, and they are powerful. They may very well have had little of what the world around them had, but they had everything that the world around them would not have. And what they did have, they would have forever if they remained faithful. And so Jesus draws their attention to the difference between, and here we got to hear it, here it is, their temporary circumstance and their eternal reality. Revelation is living with a view of eternity. Eternity is real and is trying to get your attention. Jesus is coming, and we should live like it. The Lord says, I also know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Whoa, I guess yikes does go there. The Jewish population that were slandering the Christians, they demeaned them, they demoralized, and they even demonized them. So Jewish people who had rejected Christ and allied themselves with Rome, according to Jesus, they may be referring to themselves as Jews, but they know that they were no longer the synagogue or the assembly of the Lord. And according to Jesus, they were an assembly of the one they were serving. And he said, they slander you, but they are lying about themselves. And he addresses the problem. He, he, he identifies the real problem. They are of the synagogue of Satan. Once again, from the words of our Lord Jesus, we hear in Revelation that Revelation recognizes that the devil, Satan, is a real, malicious, powerful presence. He is active and hostile to the church. Revelation affirms that the church is still in the heat of a real war with a real enemy. Not against human beings, not against the Jewish people or the Ro- even the Roman people, but, it, but with Satan himself. But here's what Jesus says. I see, your, I see your tribulation. I see your poverty. I see the blasphemy. I see what you're up against. But, verse 10, do not fear. Somebody say that out loud with me, will you? Do not fear. This is the main imperative and message to this church. Do not fear. As a matter of fact, there isn't a complaint 
toward or a correction given toward this church. Christ has no correction for them, but only this, he says, do not fear. And he says it to this church. He says it to the seven who will be reading this letter. And he says it to all who are blessed to read this book. Jesus says, do not fear. Do not fear is the refrain of heaven to all who hope in Christ. Do not fear is the constant comfort of Christ to his followers. Whether they were facing darkness or disease or death itself, he said, do not fear. Do not fear is the first words out of the mouth of the angel from an empty tomb. When those who came to the tomb looking for the living among the dead, the angel said, do not fear. Let the words of our Lord Jesus Christ resonate in your hearts today. What he says to this church, he says to every church of every era, do not fear. I was dead, but I am alive forevermore. Because he lives, you too shall live. Because he lives, you can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Do not fear. He says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. The church in Smyrna, according to Jesus, was about to enter a season of suffering, of intense persecution. But they would not do so. Their persecution would not take Jesus by surprise, and they would not go through it alone. They would do it as those who bear his name, and we remember he takes this personally. They are to remember that their kingdom, like his, is not of this world. And though what they face might be difficult, they need not face it with fear. What they face might be difficult, but they must not face it with fear. When we remember that though this was written to them, it is written for us. They would suffer. Any of us might suffer, but none of us should fear. Behold, Jesus says, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you'll be tested. You'll have tribulation for 10 days. Again, the devil is the footnoted as the one at work. He is the one attacking the church because we bear the name of Christ. And they will be tested Tested is like, like my hot tea, hot, a tea bag in hot water. It will, this testing will reveal what you're made of. It will draw out of you who you really are. You will, he said, you'll have tribulation for 10 days. What was coming to the church in Smyrna wasn't forever. It would only be for a season. Remember, friends, no matter what we face, it is temporary. Jesus has a, a pre-planned punctuation mark. He will not allow it to remain. They'll be cast into prison, and back then, prison wasn't just a place to, you know, pause and, and think about what you did. Uh, it was often the predecessor to actually being executed, which is why he tells them, be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. That crown of life isn't a tiara. Don't want to disappoint Mrs. Dav, but it's not a tiara. 
It's not a giant golden crown. It's a, it's a crown of laurel leaves that would be given to the victor in a contest. Jesus says, if you will be faithful to the end, you will get the crown of life. He says to be faithful then even unto death because what they look forward to is life. Verse 11, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. The Spirit is speaking, we must hear. And he says this, he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Now he's speaking to those who many of them may face a real and perhaps uh, imminent a natural death. But that death, Jesus says, is not something to fear. He said, but the second death, the second death. Now, we might assume that John's readers would have been familiar with what he meant by now, but fortunately for us, this term, the second death, is used throughout the book of Revelation. So right away, let's, let's jump to our cheat codes we won't do this very often. We want to read it in real time, but we, we, today we're going to jump all the way to the end to make sure we know what that second death means. Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15 says this. Then, after, this is after the judgment seat of Christ. This is after all those things. He says, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The lake of fire. The second death is the? Okay, most people got it. The second death is the? And then if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. All, it is appointed to man once to die. All of us will eventually one day, should the Lord not return first, close our eyes and rest but there will be a resurrection where every one of us will have to stand before the Lord. And then the Bible says that there'll be, we will, our life will be measured by the, what's, been, what's been written about them, but ultimately, there's one book. Somebody say one book. There's one book. What the Scripture calls the Lamb's Book of Life. And that if your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you have nothing to fear from the second death. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You bear the seal of his spirit upon you and you, have, and you will and you'll see your, your life will unfold. Revelation 21, Revelation 22, beholding your God for eternity. But if our names are not in that book, there will come a day when that book is closed and not one more name is read. So it behooves us right now this morning to, to ask this question. Is your name, do you know if your name is written? You might say, well, I haven't seen the book. You, you don't need to see the book. You need to say the name. You need to say his name. Call on the name of Jesus. Jesus, save me from my sin. Be my Lord. I give my life to you. I give you my love and my loyalty forever. I accept your forgiveness. I receive your spirit. Amen. Look to Jesus and he will write your name in his book. 
that the second death is the real and eternal one. But those who remain faithful to Christ, he says, have nothing to fear. So what he says to Smyrna and to every church is this, do not be afraid, but be faithful. Now what I have felt that I wanted to press upon us today, a response to this, implications for this, I would say to us is this, embrace martyrdom. Not a lot of shouts so far this weekend when I say that. Um, Yeah. The command not to fear is an invitation to embrace martyrdom. Now, what I mean by that is not what you might think right away. Embracing martyrdom is not, not, not hoping for death. Hoping for a, hoping, I'm not saying, you know what, leave here today hoping for a violent death. Amen, let's eat. No, nor is it searching out for ways to suffer, but embracing martyrdom. See, that when Jesus said, you will see power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses, that root word there is the same word as martyr. It means living for Christ unafraid. Unafraid of death, unafraid of loss. I live fearlessly unto Jesus. This is embracing martyrdom. Now you got to shout. Live for Jesus unafraid. Martyrdom means that we live for Christ unafraid and we live for him faithfully. We live for him with our love and with our loyalty. We never give a pinch to Caesar. We don't give a pinch. This is serious. We do not, we do not, we do not submit to threat. We do not surrender to ease. We do not deny Christ in public or in private. Embracing martyrdom also means that we live as stewards of liberty. Stewards of liberty. Martyrdom should be a way of life. Living like that should be a way of life even if we're free. Even if we're free from threat, even if we're free to engage in all of our religious liberties, let us steward those liberties well. Don't take them for granted. Exercise them robustly. I don't mean to pick on things, and I don't, you know I don't like to even say things, but you guys kind of remember a little bit ago when they said you can't come to church and how bad you were? Now they say, ah, you can come to church, and you're like, ah, it's far. There's things. We should exercise and embrace our liberty to practice our faith openly in such a way that those around the world who cannot will live vicariously through us. Live like those who can't wish they could. Finally, and this is the thing that I got to tell you has been pressing on me. It's kept me awake at night the last few nights. Martyrdom means living for Christ like it really matters now. Like it matters now. Would you say it matters now? What I mean by that is 
living for Christ with a sense of urgency. A sense of urgency. You know, the church throughout history often thrives and is very effective when she's under threat. Probably some of you grew up in church like me and you used to, you'd hear some of the timers say, well, you know, we need, we just need a little bit of persecution. We get ourselves, we get ourselves together. We had a little persecution. Listen, it's, there's a degree of truth to say that when we are under threat or when things are challenging, Christians get more bold. We make greater sacrifices. We take things more seriously. We're, we, 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 are, we are more holy. We're, we're more disciplined. We're often more joyful, more grateful, more careful, more loving, more generous, less wasteful. We prioritize. We are radical. We are different. But we need not live under threat to live like that. Things do not have to be at their worst for us to be at our best. Every spiritual awakening that we can record, that we can find record of, has often been characterized by a sense of urgency. People had a sense of urgency. Bombs dropping, Jesus must be coming. We better get serious. And that's great, not the bombs part, but you know, it's great, except for when the bombs stop, people go, eh. See, our sense of urgency cannot be connected to circumstance, but it must be fastened to Scripture. It must be the fact that Jesus said, I'm coming, you better live like it. So then we live with a sense of urgency. Whether there are clouds in the sky or rainbows in the sky or whatever's going on, I, that doesn't move me. I am moved by the words of the Lord Jesus who said, I'm coming and I'm looking for servants who are going to be willing and ready for me. He says to them, be faithful even unto death. So he would say to us, we can certainly be faithful even unto discomfort. Unto preference, frustration, or convenience. Living with a sense of urgency doesn't mean troubled or anxious. It means focus and devotion. We choose the way of martyrdom by devoting ourselves totally and fully and urgently to the name and the cause of Christ. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all is gone because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because 
Stand that. Try to sing that together, will you? Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because I. Because he lives. Lord, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that you are the one who died and is alive again, and you are alive forevermore. So, Lord, we ask that you would grant us by your grace to willingly embrace following Jesus, giving ourselves to the cause in the name of Christ with the urgency even of martyrdom. We thank you for this, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. Somebody said amen. Amen. Hey, we want to open the front here. If you need to do some business with the Lord, you want to carve out a few moments of prayer, we encourage you to do that. Otherwise, remember, the cafe is open and ready for you to enjoy some friendship and to say hello to some folks. So if you need to fellowship, go that way. And if you want to pray, come with this way.